0: Welcome to Money MD where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now and here are the doctors. Well John, I think we have an awesome show lineup for the day, very timely information, you know. I mean, we're going to start off here talking about um uh, talking about the hurricanes.
1: Yeah, what else would we talk about? The last two weeks you had Harvey, you know, in Houston. What a what a tragedy. Um, that's going to be years to be cleaned up. Um, Terrible. It's amazing. And, and now we have Irma. Irma, that's right. And um, so we're going to talk about how some of those um, storms are affecting the economy. And there's another subtle message um, that we're going to try to convey to you as we go through that process, but we're going to kind of look at the state of affairs in the economy, and we have a whole bunch of stats to to show you, but we're going to be focused on Harvey and Irma a
0: little bit. Yeah, it's very interesting to see how that actually affects the economy, and I think we have some good information about that. And then we're going to follow it up by the five most common estate planning mistakes. You know, we sit down with clients all the time looking at estate-type issues And not necessarily taxes, but things like, you know, how you make your beneficiaries listed on your IRAs and and just how you want your assets to go and powers of attorney and that kind of stuff. And we find that there are a lot of mistakes, very common things that people do or they don't do that causes some real problems if and when they pass away. So uh, that would be a win. That would be win And We're all going to pass away eventually. That's Unless right. you have a secret formula there. No, exactly right. So you have to take a look at these things. They're very, very important, and they're very common. So you may be surprised to find yourself in one of these boats and these five most common things. So stay tuned for that. But by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart SmartVestor Pro with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice.
1: And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart SmartVestor Pro, I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years.
0: And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show, our podcast are up every Friday afternoon.
1: Yeah, you can go to our website, moneymd.net. We have um, the links to the podcast on the right-hand side. You can go back and listen to the historical. Also have a lot of videos. Go to the video library. We've recorded some, we feel like it's some uh, information that people ask us a lot. So we've done some uh, educational materials out there as well. And we also have a Facebook page at MoneyMD. So we have a lot of ways that we're trying to be out in the community uh, doing education.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of timely information on our website, so do check, out, check that out at moneymd.net um, where you can you'll take your right to our website where we have all that information. But also you can email us uh, directly at info at moneymd.net or you can link to us there straight off the website. Um, and we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week.
1: Yeah, the financial fact this week is that the uh, South Carolina Gamecocks beat the uh, Wolfpack last week, so one up for the SEC.
0: woo right? man. I tell uh, you, you guys, you're starting <laughs> off early here with all this hey, rhetoric.
1: We're, we're undefeated. I mean, you know, maybe the only time in the season.
0: Yeah, your season like heats <laughs> up in a hurry.
1: It does. It does yeah. on the road at Missouri, so it'll be a tough game. And Yeah, we got a tough one with, yeah.
0: with Auburn the t- right yeah, here at home. That's going to so, be a fantastic game. It really is. So two phenomenal,
1: a lot of exciting I Had football, to throw that in there. I? That's not the financial fact, but I had to, yeah, right. Well, had to give, us, a little give bit. us
0: the financial fact because that's going to be a, a pretty poor fact, probably. <laughs> yes, you know, this is uh, before this, long.
1: This actually comes from the National Endowment for Financial Education. And, um, Steve, we talk about emergency funds being so critical. And one of the reasons is that about 60% of American uh, workers from the age of 25 to age 70 have experienced at least one stretch of time that lasted as long as a year that they had no earnings. So they were let go from their job, or maybe there was a, um, right. you know, some other circumstance that they weren't working. But six out of ten Americans, male male workers, is what it specifically says, um, had no earnings for a, a year. That's a long time.
0: That's a long time. Wow, I, I'm happy to say I've never been in that situation, but. It certainly most people do go through that. And that's why you have to have an emergency fund and you need to be out of debt as soon as possible. You know, if you have those two things accomplished, if you're out of debt um, and you have an emergency fund, you can weather that year without a big problem.
1: Yeah. I just talked to a um, client yesterday at uh, a local company. I won't say what company it was, but they just had a big change in their, the way they pay their employees. And it was a shock is a pretty drastic cut. Um, they they kind of changed the timing of the payments. And he said there are a lot of people in there that were crying because it was so wow. um, dramatic. And, you know, if and this individual had, um, had no debt, had an emergency fund, and he was like, you know, I've got to make some adjustments, but, you know, he's going to be
0: okay. So they're just part of their pay is going to be delayed at some point. It
1: yeah. is. It was being paid weekly, and now it's going to be paid annually. And, um, you know, people count on the weekly pay. I mean, they have bills and obligations and so forth, and, and about 20% of their, their salary is going by the wayside until the end of the year, even if it happens.
0: So, so it turns into kind of an annual bonus. Or it something. does. Gotcha. It does. But, Ouch. man,
1: it's tough. Uh, if you have commitments, um, you know, I can see why people are stressed.
0: Sure is. Yeah. Well, you're right. So that, that gets back to the emergency fund and it just gets back to planning in general. You got to build some contingency into your situation, including having debts paid off so that you can weather those storms whenever things change. So great financial fact of the week. And that leads up here to our first topic. Um, Harvey, the effects on the economy and just the effects in general, and now we have Irma. It's going to be the same story, I suspect.
1: Yeah, I think so. And uh, you know, our hearts certainly go out to the folks impacted by Harvey. I don't think we can. You can really understand. You look at the no. pictures and all yeah. the the uh, their furnishings are out on the lawns. And my um, goodness, just uh, they're going to
0: thousands and thousands of homes. Yes, I saw understand. that there was
1: over a million cars that were flooded.
0: My goodness!
1: I mean, and so the you know the, from an insurance standpoint, um, you know, just historic losses, and we'll see what Irma um, comes up with. It's obviously going through the Caribbean and and approaching the Florida, the Gulf right now. But you know, Steve, there's there's a lot of stats um, that we're talking about here. We look at GDP and jobs and interest rates and inflation, and you know, some of those things are are pretty positive. There's some things from an energy standpoint, oil, which not are not necessarily as as positive. There's a lot of statistics that come across the news on a daily basis. And, you know, one of the, one of the takeaways from this, um, you know, is that we can get so bogged down in negative news. Um, I mean, you know, Harvey has been on for two weeks, and Irma's probably going to be on for two weeks, and then they'll go on to something else that's negative, whether it's North Korea or politics. And, um, you know, it's really difficult to to not um, act on that noise.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know, fortunately, there were some really great stories that came out of Harvey. You just, yeah, you yeah. know, some of the rescues they did were amazing. Yeah, some of the true. people very that true. stepped up to the plate and, and really helped in that situation. Um, And there's going to be, unfortunately, you know, months and years of recovery to come from that situation. But uh, you're right, though. I mean, it is <clears throat> very negative and it's, you can't dwell on that. And there, there will be some positive effects on the economy eventually.
1: That's right. So if you look at Hurricane Harvey, uh, the effect on, on Houston and the Texas coast, um, you know, it looks like it's going to impact the uh, third quarter uh, GDP, that's the gross domestic product growth, by at least 0.3% and possibly as much as um, 2.5% because of lost economic activity. So that's a pretty big number. However, the storm's aftermath likely is going to raise uh, the fourth quarter, um, if not by that much, maybe even a little bit more, because there's going to be a tremendous amount of rebuilding. You know, the car replacement I mentioned, um, you know, if you look at the lost economic activity, that includes missed retail sales, industrial production, transportation, um, you know, just general business activity for the better part of two weeks and, and uh, you know, reduced operations and more. So really a big impact. Um, it's big enough that it's moving the needle on the entire U.S., You know, from a GDP standpoint,
0: it's amazing how that works. Um, A couple of weeks does make a big difference in a big area like that on the general overall economy. However, there is going to be a a kind of a long term effect that's actually going to be stimulative on the economy because residents are going to need to repair up to 100,000 houses and they're going to have to replace tens of thousands of automobiles. You just mentioned maybe a million. I heard a million on the show. I don't know. It's it's a lot. Yes. It's a lot. So there are going to be a lot of new cars that are going to be built and sold as a result of this. Um, Houston will need to ship or truck tons of freight to replace what was lost. Um, GDP growth in the second quarter of 2017 was revised up to 3% as consumers picked up the pace after the poor first quarter However, um, growth for the full year should be in the 2.1 percent range is what they're predicting right now. But I think fourth quarter is going to get a big bump mm-hmm. because of all the rebuilding and all the activity from these hurricanes.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, the, you hear about the the tax plan hopefully getting the GDP from 2 percent up to 3 percent. Um, certainly don't go and act on from an investment standpoint on that, but consumer spending, uh, looks pretty strong at about 2.8%. There's rising household wealth when the stock market does well, something called the wealth effect, um, incomes are up a little bit job gains. Um, you know, another solid overall consumer spending should cause the imports of goods, to rise faster than the exports. Um, You know, business spending has improved. So there's some strength out there in computer purchases. Um, Commercial structure construction is expected to rise by about 9%. And home building, Steve, also should rev up um, given the shortage of, of homes for sale. The second quarter did see a decline, but that's only because the warm weather that we had in the wintertime pulled some starts forward. And um, you know, we're going through a lot of these stats, and there are people that make decisions based on these stats with their investments, and that's kind of where we, when when we look at this, we don't make um, rash decisions or or opinions based on what's coming out in the economy. The stock market really is the best leading economic indicator. It's looking at earnings, right?
0: That's exactly right. It's looking at earnings and looking at everything that affects earnings, and you know, it's really changes in all these numbers. It changes in the expectation that drives the stock market because the stock market is a leading economic indicator. It's looking ahead; it's not looking behind. So, regardless of what these numbers are, it's how they change in the future in the next three months. You know, whether they're revised up or down, that really affects the stock market. <clears throat> Government spending is is projected to be um, flat, except for expen- uh, defense. And uh, that'll contribute just very little to GDP. Um, Federal hiring is no longer completely frozen, but it's going to remain extremely slow, partly because of the the dearth of middle management political appointees who have to approve all the new hires. So that's interesting that, you know, they don't have enough folks there to to really approve them. So that's going to keep it very low. And then state and local government spending plans are very cautious, you know, given uncertainty of federal funding for things like Medicaid and other programs that are supported by the federal government. Um, So I guess that the point here is that, you know, you can't expect a lot of spending by the federal government except for these relief, these hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And defense. Um,
1: I think defense is going to be a positive area.
0: Yeah, exactly. But uh, but the private sector, you know, has been spending a lot, and I think um, you know it's unpredictable exactly how that's going to change in the future. But yep. it's been pretty strong on the private side.
1: Yeah. Next next year, the GDP growth is projected to be two point four percent versus about two point one percent this year. Next year is an election year again. Um, you know, suggesting that maybe. There's going to be some voter-pleasing tax cuts, maybe some extra extra federal spending to boost the economy. Um, however, the size and the effect of any such measures will, uh, will probably uh, be modest. And as we all know, there's a little bit of political gridlock up there. So we'll see. I mean, I know the Trump administration wants 3%, and they think they can get there if they do these tax cuts. But, um, you know, that's, that's kind of kind of fuzzy right now. I'm not sure that's going to be happening
0: yeah it's certainly yet to be seen, so that's that's a little speculative and the Federal Reserve's going to continue to raise interest rates um they're supposed to raise interest rates this December and then several times next year um you know that will affect g d p growth a little bit, but you know if g d p growth is continues to be relatively strong, they're going to continue to push up interest rates and you know maybe up to three percent or or maybe on up. Who knows? Um, we'll just have to see, but they certainly plan to raise interest rates all the way through next mm-hmm. year. Um, so there's a lot, you know, there's kind of a lot of different factors affecting the economy. It's way too complicated, I think, for one person to figure it out.
1: Yeah, it, it is. And so this headline here is is Harvey is going to slow, you know, third quarter GDP. This could have very well been... Um, you know we're in a um, a war with north korea right and then the True. projections that you say you know looking out 3 to 6 months would probably be negative cuz they would say consumer spending would drop and business For sure. investment would drop and so forth but trying to predict those things is um it's futile no one can predict uh the movements of the stock market so the better strategy that we firmly believe in is be diversified you know have you know 8 to 12 different asset classes Uh, have a plan, um, try to pay off your debt. You know, the things that Dave Ramsey talks a lot about and the Clark Howards and the Susie Ormans as well, but um, don't try to predict and time your investments based on all of this data that comes out because no one can do it.
0: Yeah, there's hundreds of factors that affect the stock market and the economy, and there's no way to predict all those factors. You know, it's totally unpredictable, and then one event can change all those things. So... Don't try to do it. Just be diversified. You know, trust that the market and the economy does move up over time or has moved up over time throughout history. Yeah, historically. And uh, so you have to just bank on that and uh, be prepared for the long term and be diversified. So great advice. All right, and that leads us up here to our question of the week.
1: Yeah, Steve, I know we um, we both have these conversations with our clients, but a uh, client just retired. They want to take some income from their investments, and their question is, is you know, should I spend income from my 401K first or should I pull it from my Roth IRA? So you got two different tax buckets. That's a good question. Yeah, it does. It, it takes a little bit of uh, planning. You have to look at um, other sources of income, Social Security, pension, you know, the uh, 15% tax bracket for a married couple is about $76,000 roughly. And so if you can fill that 15% bucket up um, with taxable money, that's a reasonable solution. That's 15% is not 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 too high. The next level up is twenty five percent. So if you can, you know, big you, jump. Yeah, if you can use the Roth to balance that out, if you needed additional income. So take some planning. Um, and it's there's some detailed calculations involved in it, but it's certainly a valid question and something we spend a lot of time on.
0: Yeah, it's part of tax planning. We certainly can help you with that. Um, but in general, you you want to you know probably take taxable money until until you hit seventy and a half. Um. You know, when you have to start taking taxable money out of your out of your 401k um, or your IRAs and then save the Roth money because it's tax-free and you don't have to take it at age 70 and a half. But it depends on how much you have. It depends on your whole situation. There's a lot of different factors. A lot of different factors. <clears throat> what other investments do you have? Do you have other tax-free or after-tax investments you can draw from? So you have to look at the whole picture. It so, does get
1: complicated. I mean, I... You know, I've, I've been doing some of these calculations for some of these clients, and it, it takes, you know, coordination with CPA sometimes as well. So if you have questions, you can certainly reach out to
0: us. Absolutely. But a great question of the week. And that leads up to our next topic here, and that is the five most common estate planning mistakes. Um, John, you know, I mean, most people think estate planning concerns are kind of only for the wealthy. Um, and if estate taxes were the only issue, that might be true since the, the exemption now for estate taxes is like $5.5 million per person. Um, so it's very high. You don't really have to worry about estate taxes for most people. But there are many other considerations in making sure that your assets go where you want them to. Um, and a little bit of planning can save your survivors dozens of hours, much grief and expense when it comes to your estate. Unfortunately, it's easy to procrastinate estate planning issues um since you think it may never be needed. Yeah, you know a lot right. of people just kind of put that off mm-hmm. and they say, you know I'm, I get you know, to it tomorrow get to it tomorrow right it's a it's a It's way down the road um and I'll tell you a quick story. you know when I first got in this business in the financial planning business, I quickly saw how important this could be because I had a client whose husband suffered a stroke and went into a coma unfortunately. And for a while, it wasn't really an issue. But after about a month or so, the medical bills started piling up. Unfortunately, their major asset was his IRA. And when they started to need money, he could only sign for that. And he had to sign to take money out of it. And since there was no power of attorney on file, she couldn't get access to their only large source of money. So in the midst of all that trauma and grief, she had to spend countless hours filling out forms, filing forms, appearing before a judge to try to get guardianship over his funds. And eventually she did, but that could have all been avoided with a little bit of simple planning, you know, and that process added a lot of grief and and stress to her and those that were trying to help her at a difficult time. So, you know, now I know, I mean, how critical a simple planning technique like this is for, for married couples. Yeah.
1: So, mistake number one here is not having a power of attorney for your spouse, and this can easily be accomplished through an attorney that can provide signing authority over your spouse's accounts and uh, other, you know, other assets. And you know, there are also many simple forms on the internet for this, um, which cost you know little to nothing. I think sitting down with an attorney—we know quite a few of them in the area—is probably a good idea, um, particularly if you have a complicated um, situation or you have a lot of questions as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, um, and I have to admit, Kathy and I just took care of this a few years ago ourselves by setting up power of attorneys over each other, um, but you know, you have to know how important this is, um, and it really is easy to put this off forever. Um, there are two types of powers of attorney. There's a durable power of attorney, or there's a springing power of attorney. Now, a durable power of attorney is always in place, so the spouse can sign for the other spouse if... If they're incompetent <clears throat> or they're away um a springing power of attorney, however is put in place once a doctor signs that the spouse is incompetent, so we would only suggest a springing power of attorney if there was really a trust issue involved, you know since <clears throat> that adds a step and complication you know to a <clears throat> process that's probably already you know not a good a good situation to be in. Um, and plus, you know, what if you were detained or you were sick or unavailable for a long period of time for some unforeseen emergency, you know, a spring power of attorney wouldn't work in that situation. So we think it's better to always have it in place, you know, again, unless there's some trust issue involved. So make sure you have a power of attorney for you and your spouse, um, to take care of that for each other in the event that they're not able to sign. Mistake number two is not listing your kids as contingent beneficiaries on IRAs or retirement plans. It's simply setting up a stretch IRA.
1: Yeah, most people certainly list their spouse as the beneficiary, but if they predecease you, then it defaults to your estate. And, you know, if you both die together, then it, it definitely goes to the estate, but the kids are then required to take that distribution in five years. So, you know, if you have to take it out over five years versus your lifetime, that amount can can trigger a much higher tax rate. So if you do put contingent beneficiaries on there, it allows them to stretch it out over their lifetime and you know, potentially have significantly lower taxes.
0: Yeah, and that can be a long time. I mean, if the kids are listed as contingents, then it can be taken out over their life expectancy, which might be 40 years. Um, also, if your children are listed, then it avoids probate and it's quickly available to your children. So it doesn't have to go through the estate and through the probate process. So that's a good one. You want to make sure you have your kids listed as contingent on your IRAs and retirement plans. Now, the next mistake here is listing accounts as joint with an elderly parent. That's joint with right of survivorship. You know, this is a big mistake, and we see this occasionally where, um, you know, somebody wants to <clears throat> take care of their parents, of course, Um And this can be a big problem in the estate, and it's hard to correct, um, even if you catch it early. You know, I just went through this, you know, a little while ago or a couple years ago with a client. And this is typically done to kind of aid elderly parents in managing their affairs so somebody can sign on it. And it's understandable with maybe a small checking account. Um, But, you know, what happens is, you know, one of the children – often agrees to help out the parents. The other siblings quickly agree, you know, um, to that. And then, um, you know, that, that one child will sign on as joint and unbeknownst to other children, um, it creates a lot of complications and problems when the parents pass away. Once, one of the, once the parent passes away, the account immediately becomes that child's account without regard to the other siblings. So that means that child has to gift the assets to their siblings to equal the share out and file a gift tax return in that process. And I just saw that happen here uh, just in the past year. Sometimes the child can resist um, thinking they deserve a bigger share. Um, You know, temptation can be great to help themselves to an extra portion, Um, You know, this is really a mess and it's easy to avoid. So just don't do it, you know, except for maybe a small checking account. Again, use a power of attorney instead. Set yourself up as a power of attorney if you want to sign for your parents and be able to help them out. But don't list it as joint um, on their accounts. Yeah,
1: that's good. That's a good, good advice. Number four here is uh, mistake number four is owning stock in a drip account. That's dividend reinvestment plan. Uh, or maybe owning certificates or direct registration. I mean, this is another big mistake, Steve. I know you've dealt with this, and I have too oh, with clients. Yeah. It's, a, it's a mess when you have a bunch of stocks um, in this form, um, you know, once the person passes away because you have to deal with uh, a lot of different transfer companies, and each one is going to want an original death certificate, signature guarantees to re-register the shares. It's a very long, complicated process to actually get the name changed if um, there's some other ways to do that, which are a little bit easier, and you'll you'll mention that here in a minute. But those drip accounts, they sound really nice and neat, but ooh, they're tough.
0: Yeah, they sound good because you, <clears throat> you get to buy more shares, their dividend reinvestments, and it <clears throat> doesn't cost anything to buy those additional shares. Um, <clears throat> but I had to help out a widow with this not too long ago, and it took years to get them all straightened out. I mean, it was a huge mess, John. I mean, if you lose a stock certificate also, you have to try to replace it later. Um, It can cost up to $800 if a surety bond is required. We ran into that with one client. I mean, you need paperwork for every single stock. It just creates a huge hassle on top of having to deal with the loss of a loved one. And then there's the problem of tracking the cost basis on the dividends, that are reinvested, that can become a tax mess. You don't know what the cost basis is. They don't track it for you. Um, You know, you can avoid most of this by simply owning all your individual stocks or mutual funds in a brokerage account. So if you have, you know, individually registered stocks, what you need to do then is just deposit all that into a brokerage account. Take those certificates to your broker, send them off, get them deposited into one account so that you only have one company to deal with and they're usually much easier to deal with. They don't usually require signature guarantees for everything. You only need one death certificate. So get it all together in one simple account. That's the answer to that problem. So the last mistake here is not updating beneficiaries after a divorce or having other kids. Um we see this often as well. You know, you leave your ex on documents after divorce or you don't add the new kids to your to your, uh, as your beneficiaries, you know, if your, if your ex remarries and they may have other kids, I mean, it creates more problems.
1: Yeah. It's easy to forget about an old life insurance policy. Maybe you have an old IRA or retirement plan and Steve, there's no way to fix it after death. I mean, whoever's on that beneficiary form, if it's your ex spouse, they'll get it. And um, that'll create a lot of hard feelings by your heirs if it's not distributed to the current family. So definitely warrants, you know, you taking a look at.
0: Yeah, I've seen this just a few years ago as well. I mean, this this can really create a huge problem, a lot of animosity involved, um, a lot of hard feelings. You know, it's simple to update everything once the situation changes. It's fresh on your mind, so just do it. Don't put it off. If you have one of those situations, make sure you go through, you know, when you have a big change, and update all of your documents and make sure you don't leave anything out. You don't leave out any old insurance policies or anything like that. So the takeaways here are a little planning can avoid huge problems for your loved ones in your state. You know, probate can be a very time-consuming process. It's it's easy to avoid, though, by listing your spouse and your children as beneficiaries. Review and update your wills and your beneficiaries every few years. Get a power of attorney for each other, for you and your spouse now, if you don't have one, to avoid the grief and the hardship that that can cause. So those are the takeaways there. Email us, give us a call if you have questions on that. You can email us at info at And, John, that leads us up to our last item here, and that is the prescription of the week.
1: Yeah, this is for uh, college students and uh, the, certainly the parents who are probably paying for those textbooks. Um, a couple of resources out there. You look at the campus bookstores. Um, when you and I went through school, that was the only way to get... Uh, a, a textbook today you've got Amazon. There's another one out there called Chegg, C H E G G dot com, hmm. and then also Ecampus dot com. And, um, you know, you can rent textbooks these days. Yep. I know Master my kids my... have done that. And Josh um, yep. Marbert, who is now working with us, is a pro at this. So he's actually going to be doing the prescription. Of the week on Facebook, so go check that out as well. But there's some ways that you can cut your bill on this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think renting is a great thing. My kids did that, as you mentioned. You know, all the way through college for the most part, and it's just unbelievable how much textbooks cost now. If you go to the bookstore like we did our freshman year with Josh, I mean, we spent I don't know seven eight hundred dollars. Maybe it was just unbelievable what what they wanted for a textbook. You know, and. And then it's not even a textbook. It's just a binder with loose-leaf paper. paper in yeah, there that they can no. update, and it's got some <laughs> online code or something, you know, they try to trick you into. Yeah, I mean, my suggestion is, my kids were experts at this after that first year, of go into the class the first week. Don't, don't buy the textbooks ahead of time. Don't fall in the trap of thinking that you have to get it for your kid before they go to the class. Go to the class. Mm-hmm. Find out what the real deal is from the professor. And then rent it. You'll have the book in just a few days off Amazon or, I don't know, you may not Sometimes need, you don't even need You it. don't even need the book mm-hmm. sometimes. You just say, hey, I'm going to give you handouts. Don't worry about the book. So, yeah, that's a great prescription of the week for anybody that has college-age kids. So uh, that's a good one. All right. Well, that's been this week's edition of MoneyMD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net. And email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Smart Lister Pro is not connected
1: to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.